0: Coming up, the Utah Jazz made a big trade today, Thatcher. We are going to be talking about it day of, um, kind of crazy, or so I'm still processing it, to be honest. And we're going to be talking about the NBA draft, which was last week. We are in the funnest part of the season for a lot of people in the off season. I am here with Nathan Thatcher. We haven't done a podcast since like April together, but it is good to be back, man. How, how was the summer? How's the summer
1: going? It- it's, it's been going good. Uh, I'm currently working on a rebrand of the podcast that we, we started on for two years, and uh, I'm excited to get that going. We already have a lot of good guests lined up, so I can, uh, I can tease them at the end. But it's been good. Let's I'm go. just excited. There's a lot of news, sports news to talk about, so I'm excited to be here. For those that
0: don't know, Thatcher, Nate Thatcher, is the host of the Thatcher Effect podcast, where we did podcasts for about two years on and off. Um, Lots of success there, lots of great podcasts, including one podcast where I talked about John Collins to the Jazz for about 15 minutes. So I listened to that today and was a little bit excited about it. Anyways, we're going to jump right into this episode. So starting off, Jazz had a really big week and it all started on draft night, but I kind of wanted to zoom out and look at it from an NBA perspective, look at some of the biggest storylines on draft night from the entire NBA. Thatcher, what do you think were some of the biggest storylines on draft
1: night? I think number one has to be Cam Whitmore's slide. I think that was probably the most apparent news in the moment as we were all watching it. On draft night, I was able to go down to the Delta Center, watch it with all the Jazz fans in a party that was put together in less than a week. So really impressive for what the what the Jazz did to bring all the fans together. So shout out to those guys. But there was an audible reaction almost every time after probably the top five or top ten when Cam Whitmore's name wasn't announced. <laughs> and obviously we know that there were rumors, there were talks about uh, nagging injury, also maybe some... Uh, losses in what he did with his interviews. Maybe it didn't go so well with some of the organizations that he talked with. But most um, sports analysts had him as a top five, top ten talent going into this draft. And you look at the highlights, and he was really fun to watch. And as a Jazz fan, it was something that we thought he could really kind of come into the system. And it looked like he could fit in really well. I know you on Jazz Lead. You tweeted a lot about him. And I I mean, thanks. It was free highlights, and I was able to you know see what he was able to do. <laughs> But that was, like, by far the number one highlight. And I was actually able to go with a Rockets uh, a rockets fan who's a friend of mine. So it was interesting to get his perspective on it. Um, and I think coming out of that draft, just as a general NBA fan, I think the Rockets were a winner in this draft. And I think the Jazz were also winners in this draft. And I think I'd put those two teams in the top five for, for winners of what happened um, last week. In terms of everything else, I feel like going past you know, the lottery and into the twenties, there were still a lot of steals. And I feel like this draft was completely loaded to the point where with each guy that was getting picked, I was like, wow, that's actually like a really good pick. I never felt like they, there were a few in the top 10 that it was a questionable decision, but then it led to really good picks for other organizations later on in the draft. I feel like usually there's a very steep drop off after the lottery But this year, it felt like everyone got good guys all across the board. And that even stretches into the second round. Um, So I'm really excited to see how these rookies do in this upcoming year. But again, I just have to say, I think the Rockets and the Jazz are really big winners after this draft.
0: Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Cam Whitmer falling that far. You got clues of him sliding a little bit in some of the mock drafts that were leading up to the draft. I think like the day before, he was mocked number 9 to Utah. Whereas he had been mocked number five, number four, going really early. And so that was a huge surprise. Especially when the Jazz passed on him twice, Orlando passed on him twice. Like two teams that he would be a great fit on. And then you kind of start thinking, Hey, what if he landed in Miami? What could Miami do to him? What could what could the Warriors have done with him and developed him into? Or if you landed on the Lakers, that would be a nightmare for a lot of Jazz fans. I think Jazz fans would be irrationally mad. Um, but yeah, that was absolutely the biggest story of draft night because falling to number 20 is ridiculous. The the big story that's been going around with Cam Whitmore has been Michael Porter Jr., who also fell on draft night. Here Here's the differences, in my opinion. Michael Porter Jr. didn't play a, an entire season and still ended up going top fourteen. Cam Whitmore played for most of his freshman season in Villanova, played really good minutes. Um, he ended up guarding a lot of the team, the other team's best players, and was a dominant force on offense as well on a not so good Villanova team. Um, but Michael Porter Jr. didn't have that going for him, and so see Cam Whitmore fall that far after playing a relatively healthy season, where the only injury he had was a thumb injury. You were thinking, okay, this guy's gotta have like heart problems, or he's gotta have like a brain problem. Like this guy's gotta have brain cancer for him to fall this far. So yeah, that I think that was easily the biggest story on draft night. Um, Miller over Scoot, Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson, I think was a big story too. That I'm curious to see how that's gonna shape up. I personally, and listeners of the podcast know this, I have Scoot going number two. I thought that him and Lamelo could work together. I just think because they're both dynamic players, they could easily make that work. And the Hornets ended up going Brandon Miller, who whose goat is Paul George. So good for Brandon Miller. Love to see that. Uh, that that alone should have join. dropped him.
1: That that comment alone should have dropped him ten spots. I I don't know <laughs> if it was like meant for clickbait or something like that, but man, I, I was confused. But I did tweet. If Paul George is the GOAT, I that has to mean Joe Ingles is the the father of the GOAT. Yeah. So I'd totally be okay with that in that scenario.
0: To be fair, I think he was probably just trying to say, like, Paul George is his role model, his inspiration.
1: Sure. But, I,
0: like, but he I, like, said, Paul George is my GOAT. You can't yeah. take that back.
1: Again, most players like you can model your model your craft after a player that plays today, a player that played back with MJ or whatever. But to say that he's the greatest of all time, like what, <laughs> like dude, you're crazy, man! Like that was that was a wild comment.
0: Yeah. Anyways, I I'm, I'm sure he'll have a good career, but we'll see. Um, Orlando kind of had a weird night. This is the last one I want to touch on because I think Orlando was positioned to have a really good draft, picking at number six and number eleven. At number six, they they picked Anthony Black. And looking at their current roster, it's a little bit redundant to pick Anthony Black when you have Markel Fultz, who had a really good season last year. Markel Fultz has totally revitalized himself, by the way. He's looking like a completely different player. Um, Jalen Suggs has had a lot of moments, a lot of flashes. He looks like a legit defender. Um, We'll see how the offense shapes up. Cole Anthony has been a solid six man. So you kind of thought their guard rotation was solid. Coming into that night, everybody was saying, okay, they got Franz Wagner, they got Paulo Banquero. Those are two guys that can be a number one and a number two on a championship-level team if they continue to develop at the rate they've been developing. And you got to surround them with shooters because those two guys are both guys that play with the ball in their hand. Um, Wagner's a good shooter. Banquero is not a good shooter. And I think he can develop into a good shooter. He takes a lot of tough shots and makes a lot of tough shots, but I don't think he is a good shooter right now. So optimizing spacing around them was kind of the idea. And then they ended up picking a guy who has a really bad jump shot at number six. So I thought, I thought that was very interesting. And then they reached with their number 11 pick too. I think, I think jet Howard is a fine player. I think he'll be a fine player. Um, Context with him is very important. He's playing for his dad in Michigan. He's playing a style of basketball um, that led him to play. is is almost kind of like an NBA system. And so a lot of the things NBA scouts are looking for flopped. Whereas you look at other guys on the draft board, like a guy like Keontae George who was playing the small forward position at Baylor and wasn't necessarily in a system that optimized his skill set, he ended up falling. And so I I think that's interesting. You really have to contextualize the systems that these guys are coming out of. And like I said, I think Jet Howard will be a fine player. He does add shooting to that Orlando team. I just wonder if they could have gotten a better shooter at that range, like a Grady Dick or Jordan Hawkins. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting pick. Um, That's kind of it for draft night. Thatcher, do you have any other thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you on Orlando that was probably the biggest reaction that I heard from thousands of fans besides when the jazz drafted was when Orlando was making their picks. And I think mostly because you look at their guard rotation and not only is it like just a lot of short guards, but like they all just, I feel like they give off similar vibes. So I'm interested to see how it goes. And again, I think this draft was so deep, especially in the shooting category. I mean, we know as jazz fans, we know this with Bryce sense like, At 28, he was one of the shooters of this draft. Grady Dick, like they had a lot of drafters or excuse me, a lot of shooters in this draft. So yeah, those, those picks were questionable, but that topic also brought up kind of what you're talking about with Keontae George, not really going into a system that didn't really fit his, his talents or um, skills at some point. I think in this draft, we really saw that being good in college does not necessarily translate to being picked high in the draft. Um, with the way that the draft is set up now, where you can go to other leagues besides the NCAA. But some of the best players in college basketball were not even drafted at all. And I think the biggest name was Drew Timmy um, that wasn't drafted. And he was like a dominant force in college basketball for years. And so I think now we're starting to see that the NBA, I feel similar to the NFL, is very particular in what they uh, look for in a player, especially in um, physique, Uh, quickness, um, IQ of the game, but also the way that the game is spread out in the NBA. Very different than what goes on in NCAA. And I think players that benefited in the college ranks, it might not translate as well into the big leagues and maybe that's why they're not getting drafted. But I thought that was also kind of a a big topic that came out of draft night as well from last week.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm pretty sure Oscar Shibway also didn't get drafted. He was the player of the year two years ago. Uh, Zach Eady ended up not even – he ended up um, bumping himself out of the draft and going away from the draft process to return to Purdue. And he was the player of the year this last year. And so, like, you make a really good point with Timmy, with Sheepway with Zach Eady, some of these guys, even Trace Jackson Davis, who I think could have a good transition to the NBA, but he was more of a dominant force in college. He ended up going number 50, like 56 or 57 to the Warriors, where he's probably going to thrive. And, yeah, I think you make a really good point. Some of these guys that are just really good in college play four or five years um, because of the weird COVID stuff and even, like, take their team to national championship games or really far in the tournament. They just – the outlook on them going into the draft isn't the same as some of these other guys. Um, Moving on, Thatcher, we're going to talk about – we're going to briefly hit on the picks that the Jazz made. I am planning on doing – an episode with some more deep dives into Taylor Hendricks, Dante George, and Bryce Sencema. So we're going to kind of hit this pretty quick and then we're going to move on to John Collins at the jazz and what that means. Um, but Thatcher, first impressions. How did you feel about draft night?
1: Um, in terms of what the jazz picked, I'd give them personally, I'd give them an A or an A minus grade. I think they did just about as good as they could have done. And I think we really honed in and we could see what the front office really wanted in their draft picks. I thought Hendricks was a great pick. Um, and I think now with this new trade, he has an organization where I believe he can thrive and become a player that the jazz thought he could be Uh Keontae George. Originally, as soon as the draft pick was made, I was, I'm going to be honest. I was a little bit surprised. Um, but at the same time, the more and more that I look at his stats and watches his, his tape, I can see what the Jazz see in him, and I don't, I know also why he slipped in terms of shooting percentages, um, shot selection, turnovers. Like those are stats that stick out to scouts and people who are trying to pick up players in the draft. But also, this is a shooters' league now, and I think one of the things that the Jazz needed was to have a shooter that could stay with this organization for a while. We know that Jordan Clarkson has been the shooter for the past few years, but obviously we can probably guess he's going to opt out of his player contract. We don't know what's going to happen with him and the other shooters on this team. There's just not that much security. And so I think the Jazz were looking for some form of security and a type of shooter that they can know will stick around for a little bit. And I think Keonti George is that guy. Um, like you said, maybe his skill sets weren't valued as much in the college ranks, but he's still got stuff done. And he had games where he would go on really big bursts. And it was really fun to watch as a college basketball fan. I think he's got a really good jump shot. And I think he can develop really well. I also love the Jazz's coaching staff. And so I feel like they're the type of staff that can develop young players. We saw that with Larry and We saw that with almost everyone on the roster last year improved greatly in some of the skills that they needed to. And while the Jazz didn't go to the playoffs, we saw these individual players make great strides in their individual game. I think Keontae George can be one of those players that benefited, like smaller players such as Taylor Horton-Tucker, um, or we saw Chris Dunn have a really good season at the end towards last season as well. Just ways that they can develop their game to contribute, and I think Keontae George can be that guy. Bryce Sensabaugh, I think, was a fantastic pick. Potentially can be a really big steal in the draft. Once again, a shooter. And I think almost... I, I think all three guys have that dog mentality in them to the fact where I think... They're going to be those players where maybe if a night's not going well for them, they have that win-now win mentality to get the job done no matter what it takes. I just really like all of these guys. They seem mature in their interviews. Um, I like their outlook. So hopefully they can stay in Utah for a while. But as of right now, I'm going to give the Jazz an A or A-grade minus in that draft. Yeah, I'd, I'd
0: agree. I think I'm right around there. Um, from my perspective, I loved the Taylor Hendricks pick everybody's kind of been saying like, Oh, he's got like a super high floor, but maybe a low ceiling. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think it just depends on what you value. When I look at a guy like Taylor Hendricks and the more I've watched of him, the more I've kind of dived deeper and tried to examine some of his flaws as well as a lot of his strengths. I can see him turning into a guy like Jaden McDaniels on Minnesota. Or, or Jalen, I, I can't remember if it's Jaden or Jalen. Um, the point being, though, I think he has that kind of defensive upside, and the three point shot is there. I I'm like I'm stunned watching it because a guy at six ten that can shoot the ball like that, that shoots it so smoothly, that doesn't hesitate. He has no second thought. His his reaction is okay. If I get the ball when I'm open, I'm going to shoot it, and I think. Having a guy like that that doesn't hesitate, that knows his role, is incredibly valuable. So I love that pick at number nine. I think Taylor Hendricks is going to be – he's going to look like a really good pick. And I think he has more potential than he's been showing. Um, Last season at UCF, he did play the most minutes per game. He averaged the most points per game on that team. Keep in mind all this as like an 18-year-old freshman. Um, Led that team in blocks. He pretty much led that team in rebounds. Played with – uh, you, Lahat Chun. uh little shout out to Lahat there. Um, but he played on a competitive team and they didn't make the tournament. They made the NI tur- NIT tournament and had a little run. But just seeing a guy like that, that at 18 can embrace his role and go on to a team, help them win games and play the most efficient style of basketball that he can play, I think is really promising. And I think it bodes well for his future. George at 16. On my personal board, I had him at number nine, I believe. So I was really high on him. Um, He was one of the guys that I picked up early on, kind of early in the college basketball season. Baylor was uh, like a top 25 team all season. So I watched a lot of Baylor. And like I said, it's important to contextualize his system where he was playing. He was playing with two really good shooters and Adam Flagler and... I can't remember their other shooting guard, um, his name, but they're both two good shooters, two good ball handlers. And so Keontae George didn't have the ball in his hands a ton. He kind of did at the beginning of the season. Like I was watching him versus UCLA last night, and he was running a lot of point guard. If you're the Jazz, that's where you're buying it on him, is to be a point guard. And that's right. Sure, I think you made an excellent point about him being a really good shooter. And he's a guy that takes really tough shots, but he also makes tough shots. And you kind of equate that to guys like Jamal Murray or Donovan Mitchell, guys that take really tough shots but make tough shots too. And you need that. You absolutely need that in hard playoff gritty settings where the offense can get slowed down. Somebody that can go out there, create his own shot um, and create the best possible look when your offense just isn't able to get to their normal looks is super valuable. And so I think having a guy like Keontae George at number 16, where you picked him with the upside that he has is a really good pick, especially when you add in that you got Taylor Hendricks at number nine. Right, Sensibot at number 28, I like this pick. I actually had him number 14 on my board. Um, I kind of think he's the best shooter in the draft. He shot 40% from three this season on a pretty bad Ohio State team. Um, There are a lot of weaknesses in his game, and – What's promising is he's the first person to acknowledge some of his weaknesses. He was mentioned in multiple press conferences, including one today, that he needs to, he needs to improve on defense. But he's already saying that he's improved a lot since last season during this offseason, and so I think that's pretty promising. Um, like I said, I think he's the best shooter in the draft. He can score from anywhere, and he can shoot from anywhere, and in any situation, coming around screens, catch and shoot, spot up, creating his own shot. That's really promising, and that's really good value at number 28. We'll see if there's smoke with the injuries, because apparently he had some injury problems um, in high school, and those kind of came up during the pre-draft process. He didn't actually work out for Utah, and that's interesting, but they liked him enough to take that number 28. Anyways, Thatcher, I'd agree with you. I'd probably grade this draft in the A to A-minus, to B-plus range. I think the Jazz did as good as they could have done. A lot of people were wanting them to move up in the draft, including myself. I explored trade opportunities in the last couple of podcasts. And I think where they picked is good enough. And there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Jazz fan. These guys are going to help win, maybe not this year, but in the very near future. And the nice thing about having three rookies is one of them is bound to hit. All right, moving on. Thatcher, we got some giant news this morning. I was working, doing my little marketing job, pops up on my watch. Collins got traded. And I'm like, "Uh, okay, finally, John Collins got traded. And then I scrolled down a little further, and I saw that he got traded for Rudy Gay in the second-round pick. And I kind of thought I got sacked. It was like a ball-sack sports tweet. (laughs) But it ended up being Adrian Wojnarowski. And... Insanity. Thatcher, what are, your, what are your first thoughts on John Collins to the Jazz?
1: Well, speaking towards the, the ball sack comment, listen, as a, as a journalist, I've you have to watch yourself because people like Stephen A. and Kendrick Perkins get, get sacked all the time on ESPN. So I'm glad that you uh, you, you checked your sources first before you made it. <laughs> um, it was interesting. Uh, I was actually listening to ESPN 700 earlier today. Um, and I was listening to stuff about Utah youth sports. Uh, Steve Bartolin insider was talking about the trade with Bill Riley. And he was like, yeah, I don't like the trade. And I was like, what? Why? And he's like, yeah, just cause like John Collins is like not as good as he used to be. Sure. If you want to look at it from a shallow perspective, I get it. John Collins had a great season two years ago. Um, and obviously since a finger injury, his stats have dropped and declined a little bit. He's had nagging injuries besides the finger that have kept him out. But listen, if someone's offering you a player with potential and talent, like John Collins for Rudy Gay and a second round pick, that's like, that's like the Pawn stars going. I saw that meme on Twitter today. They're like, you know, best we can do is Rudy Gay and a second round pick, but we'll take John Collins off your hands. And the jazz totally got him. And so when I see that tweet and I saw the information, I think it's a great win for the jazz. And it's solely because of what we gave up to get in return. Now, I know the contract is a completely different game. The numbers are a little bit worrying for some Jazz fans because we know that that's kind of been the big thing was all the flexibility that the Jazz have. Um, So much room to make moves. But, okay, you have the money. Now let's make the moves. And what's awesome is they're making these moves early on. It's not going to be a multi-year rebuild like many thought. The Jazz look like they're trying to get into a winning position just right out of the gate after a first-year rebuild. Um, I don't, again, I didn't really like Rudy Gay on the jazz. I, he had a great opening night when he came to the organization. I think he dropped (laughs) like, I can't remember, but he went off from like three pointers. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is our missing piece. This is exactly what the jazz needed. They needed a veteran who could shoot, come in, drop a few threes. And I was like, wow, we're set. Rudy Gay didn't pan out like that at all. And I felt like the chemistry was never there with him. In my eyes, it felt like he was always trying to do his own thing when he came on the floor. Obviously, I can be very wrong. Um, and I think it's also ironic that he's going back to Quinn Snyder out in Atlanta. But I think John Collins can be a really good player for this Jazz squad. And not only that, I think he can develop well under the coaching staff, as I mentioned with the guys that the Jazz drafted on draft night. I also think he can help Taylor Hendricks and other young players develop their craft because John Collins is explosive. Um, I think he has some amazing plays that have obviously been caught in the national media. I just think the things that are holding, I think the main things that are holding Jazz fans back are the contract numbers. So they're worried that he's not going to play as much as he's saying that he's worth. And also his shooting percentage, taking a little bit of a dip. Um, But I think something that's, really interesting is that he improved on three point on excuse on three uh, three pointers in the first 51 games he shot barely over 25 percent. so I think while he was trying to recover from that finger injury he I feel like he kind of got his groove towards the end and now that he has an entire offseason to practice and get with his new squad I think this has potential to be a really good steal for the jazz that's that's my initial take from today's trade
0: i love it um kind of looking at it from atlanta's perspective a lot of people are wondering like okay if atlanta is willing to trade him for rudy gay and a second round pick then there must be some red flags there that's not necessarily the case there is strategy behind atlanta moving john collins first of all with the new cba Teams can't get close to that second apron on the luxury tax. It's going to be – it's impossible. Atlanta is one of those teams that is close. They have zero flexibility right now because they're paying Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, Clint Capella, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter. Um, they're paying a lot of guys. So being able to move John Collins, who is making like $20 million a year, really gives Atlanta more options. And I think they're probably feeling okay about Jalen Johnson um, as they're – starting power forward. He played pretty good in the playoffs. He's had a lot of flashes and he just might be one of those guys that needs to get more run to be able to prove that he's a good starting quality NBA player. So I think for them it comes at opening up flex the the trade it comes at opening up flexibility with their cap space and then opening up minutes. This is just a little side note, but I have no idea why they drafted Kobe Bufkin. Uh, the guard out of Michigan. Because they got Trey Young, they got DeJounte Murray. Yeah, you're going to need more guards than those, just those two. And I think Kobe Buffkin is like as close to an NBA ready guard as you can get in the draft. But I think that was a very poor pick considering they could have gotten a guy like Cam Whitmore. We'll be talking about Cam Whitmore for the next six months. But Yeah, they could have gotten a guy like Cam Woodmore or some other forward in this draft class. And so I think picking Kobe Bupkin might be a mistake for them, especially after losing John Collins. Looking at it from the Jazz's perspective, I want to first kind of explore why the Jazz might have made this trade. And I think there's a couple different options. So full trade details, John Collins for Rudy Gay and a second-round pick. The trade can't be finalized until July 6th when – the cap they they're able to access their cap space for next season because it's they're absorbing John Collins contract into their cap space. The Jazz had a lot of cap space going into this offseason. I think I saw Bobby Mark say that they have like around forty five million, depending on whether or not Jordan Clarkson, THT, Kelly Olinick, Rudy Gay, um, Damian Jones opted in, but whether or not those guys opted into their contracts or not. And so now the Jazz have absorbed some money into that cap space. Um, they're looking at around like $20 million left, and that's if Clarkson and THT don't resign. Actually, I think they can get to more if neither of those two re-sign. Um, those, that's kind of the big holdups with their offseason right now. So for the Jazz perspective, looking at this free agency class in the market right now, it's not a great free agency class. You're kind of looking at, like, James Harden, Fred Van uh, Chris Middleton, Jeremy Grant. I don't know if any of those guys necessarily fit your timeline. And while those are quality players that could help the Jazz, they would not help the Jazz be flexible, which I think is number one priority for the Jazz this next season going into the next couple of years is to retain flexibility for and if – a star player becomes available and they can trade for him or one of their guys hits and they have flexibility to go fill out their roster. Right. So I think bringing in John Collins, you're able to access some of that cap space without having to go sign a free agent. Um, John Collins has about three years left on his deal last year being a player option. So I think there's some finagling you could do there to maybe add him later Anyways, I think this trade actually actually gives the Jazz a lot of flexibility. It doesn't completely tie up the Jazz. If you were, so I was kind of going through the exercise. Like a lot of teams are wondering who should the Jazz trade for, um, what can they offer teams on draft night, and you kind of start looking at our tradable contracts. There's pretty much two guys, and it's Kelly Olynyk and Colin Sexton, and. The Jazz have made it clear that Laurie and Walker Kessler, and Ochai Baji aren't going to be on the trading block. And so you're basically dealing with Kelly Olenek and Colin Sexton. And so for some of those teams that maybe were looking to trade their draft pick for rotation players, the Jazz weren't able to offer much. Bringing in John Collins adds another guy who's making solid money. um, And he's basically another trade piece. Let's say a guy like Luka Doncic or a guy like Damian Lillard becomes available and the Jazz just need somebody to match salary. They got the assets, they got the picks. That's what teams are wanting. So the Jazz just need to add some salary. If you throw in John Collins, then all of a sudden you have more salary. And the team, let's say a team like Portland, is probably going to find John Collins more attractive than they're going to find a guy like Colin Sexton or Kelly Olenek um, Colin Sexton, who might be a little bit redundant with Scoot Henderson. So I think those are kind of that's kind of the logic here at the Jazz. Bringing him in is another tradable contract. The Jazz are also focused on being competitive. And I think they're going to be competitive next year. This trade is the first indication of where they're trying to head for next year. I think there's a couple of reasons they want to be competitive. Obviously, first of all, Winning games sells tickets, and winning games is good for your culture. We saw that a lot this last year, and we talked a lot about culture—probably too much about culture—but it, the culture in jazz is palp- in in the Utah Jazz organization is palpable, and it's it's tangible, and I think that's very important, especially when you're bringing in new rookies, you're bringing in other guys. Also, just looking at the Denver Nuggets and what they did, culture is so important. I don't I don't think you can underrate it. Anyways, that's probably the last time I'm going to talk about culture for the next couple of months. Um, So through the jazz, being able to have a competitive culture, bringing in a guy like John Collins, who let's not forget, he had a season just three years ago averaging 21 points, 10 rebounds, 1.8 blocks. He shot 40% from three. The guy was on a similar trajectory that Larry Markkinen was when he was in Chicago and Larry Markkinen had a couple of really good years in Chicago. And then it started going downhill. um, And then he got traded to Cleveland. I think if you're the jazz, you're viewing this similarly, John Collins could be a guy that you can rehabilitate that you can. Yeah. I mean, just rehabilitate like his value or whatever and bring him in and try to have a similar career arc to what Laurie Markkinen is experiencing right now. Because this guy is talented. I think he's very talented. He balled out in the Eastern Conference Finals like three years ago and was guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's talented on both ends of the floor. So if you're the Jazz, I think think this is kind of the thought process is you're bringing him in. He's going to help you be competitive. You can possibly rehabilitate his value and then – move him in the future or you can keep him around if he's if he hits you can be flexible so kinda, that's kind of my thoughts on the john collins trade uh that's i've got like a couple questions that i kind of want to help you help i want you to help me feel out as far as john collins so first of all what happens with taylor Hendricks, and why did we draft a power forward at number nine if we were just going to get John Collins in free agency?
1: Yeah, that, that is a great question. I think something that a lot of sports media members in the Utah area have been coming up with since the trade broke today. I'm going to say that all three of these guys are not going to be ready right out of the gate. And with the last rookie that kind of broke out for the jazz, Donovan Mitchell, he was the same way where we saw something very special in the summer league. And he was going to play a small, he's going to play a contributing role starting right off the bat, but then he gets forced into this starting role early on, but he thrives in it. In this situation, I feel like having John Collins, again, another veteran player in the league. But now you look at that whole front court, I think now Taylor Hendricks has multiple guys to look at and to craft his game after. And everyone that is tall on the roster plays a very different style. Taylor Hendricks is wanting to be, I believe he said he wanted to be kind of like a bam out of bio. He can do a little bit of everything and you can learn how to play great defense in the paint from Walker Kessler. You can learn how to be a facilitator and create shots from Lowry Markkinen. And now with John Collins, you can learn how to be explosive on the offensive side while also being to lock up really big and superstar um, offensive players on the defensive side of the ball. So I like it for him, especially just because I'm not, I was never expecting them to come right in on day one and be the starting, you know, for him to be the starting number four. And I think now that he has a lot of veterans to learn around, this can be a really great opportunity for him to, okay, this is what I wanna work on right now. I'm gonna pick and choose. And he has so many guys to learn from that then he can start to see, okay, this is who I wanna be in the league and this is who I can become. So I really like it for him. I don't think this trade necessarily affects the other two draftees, but I think Taylor Hendricks, this will benefit him in the long run. We may not see immediate results, but I was never expecting that.
0: Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's totally fair. Expecting a rookie to come in and add to winning is extremely rare. What we saw from Walker Kessler last year, as far as being an impactful offensive defensive player, a player that contributes to winning is very, very rare. There's not a lot of players that can do
1: that. And even with Walker Kessler's situation, he didn't really come on until later in the season. Because again, he was playing a contributing role. He did play, he did have like good minutes right off the bat. But once again, like we saw him evolve dramatically throughout the season. And so I think having more and more teammates to learn from will help Taylor Hendricks' situation. I think Walker's a a great example, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think if you're a Jazz fan, you probably shouldn't be too worried about this because Will Hardy has shown... A willingness to play rookies um, when they deserve minutes, and talent eventually outshines everything. We see this in college football. We see it with uh, quarterbacks that maybe go to a situation, go to a school where there's already four other five-star quarterbacks. They got somebody that's been there for five years, like Stetson Bennett or something, um, and eventually another quarterback is able to shine through. And that—I mean—that doesn't fit with Stetson Bennett. But the point being, a talent, talent shines. And if Taylor Hendricks ends up being the more talented player, the more impactful player, then he's probably going to be your starter by the end of the season. If not, then that's fine. John Collins is a perfectly capable NBA player, and expecting Taylor Hendricks to be that kind of a positive, impactful player by the end of his rookie season is a lot to ask. And so I think if you're a Jazz fan, you shouldn't be too worried about Taylor Hendricks what's going on with his minutes this season. I think he's going to have plenty of opportunities to learn, especially if the Jazz keep Kelly Olenek, who I think is like one of the best mentors for a guy like Taylor Hendricks and John Collins and Lauren Markenden and Walker Kessler and Damian Jones. Like Taylor Hendricks is going to be surrounded by some really good bigs with a lot of skill sets that he can add to his game, as well as skill sets that he has game right now that he can refine and learn from those guys. So I think – I think Taylor Hendricks is going to be fine. I don't think there's too much to worry about there. Um, yeah. What happens with Kelly Olenek? Do the Jazz beat yeah. Kelly
1: Olenek? Dude, I keep forgetting about him and all the topics that I'm, I like. I'm, I'm answering these questions and I finish. I'm like, <laughs> I totally forgot to talk about Kelly Olenek. Um, I think, again, he can be another great mentor for Taylor Hendricks. We saw him drop. He was like almost about to break that triple-double curse that the Jazz had multiple times towards the end of the season. Oh, and. Because the Jazz were having serious um, injury issues. And so Kelly was playing a lot of minutes. And while I, I as a fan, don't trust his, him on the defensive side of the ball, I really love his offense. And he can play a right. great um, role coming off the bench. Like, his offensive firepower at his height is fantastic. Um, I, I'm, I don't know. Because, again, I was surprised that he wasn't involved in a trade package early on. Again, I could be speaking soon if the jazz are looking to make more moves, I'm probably going to think that Kelly's going to be the next one involved depending on who they trade with. Um, I think even in the middle of last season, we thought that Kelly was going to be gone. He wasn't going to last the full season. So I feel like for the last year, I thought in my head that I know what they're going to do with Kelly and then the front office is like, Oh, we're going to keep him a little bit longer. So I, again, me as a fan, I'm still leaning a little bit towards the side of he's going to be part of a trade package of some of some deal or something like that. But at the same time, I don't see it as a major con. um, If we keep him. I know we were talking about cap space. We're still waiting on a lot of guys on the roster to resign. So, um, but just in terms of talent, I don't think it's necessarily a con that Kelly Olynyk stays. In fact, Speaking yeah. towards our last question, I think it helps Kendrick's situation even more to develop in his rookie year.
0: Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Everything we've heard about Kelly Olinick from the Jazz organization has been positive. Um, incredibly impactful locker room player in a situation where I think he was the loudest voice in that locker room. And I think he outshone he outshined some of the other vets, including one vet that was included in the trade today. Um, he's been a complete professional. I also have really admired the way that Kelly Olynyk plays basketball. He is a winning player and I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I don't admire in his game such as some of the flopping, some of the fouls. Like <laughs> he it's it's he, he's still sim- he's still that same kid that he was in Gonzaga. Let's just put it that way. Um, no, 100%. But he's an incredibly talented playmaker for that size. Like you start talking about centers that are really good playmakers. It's him, Nicole Jokic, DeMontis, Sabonis, and Alperin Sengun. Like, and Bam bio, I can't think of another guy uh, outside of those. Or just, like, being a center or a power forward that can create the way he can create being that kind of a savvy passer. Like, I did a, a, some statistical breakdowns way back, and I was finding all these stats, like, guys that have had so many assists, so many points, so many rebounds in this last season – And it's always coming up with Kelly Olenek, Jokic, Devonta Sabonis, LeBron James, like some of the elite forwards, the passing forwards in the NBA. So Kelly Olenek's pretty underrated. Like I I think he would just be a great player to keep around. As far as like looking at the rotation, we're going to hit on this and then we're going to hit on a couple of trade ideas that I have. Um, The rotation, the big man rotation. So I think you can pencil in – Kessler and Markkinen as starters, right? Do you keep starting a Linux or do you go Collins? Because here's what I like about Collins and a Linux. There's a lot of versatility there. You could bring either one in off the bench and they could play some small ball five. They could play, I mean, we could have some really like crazy athletic lineups. If you're looking at Kessler, Markinen. John Collins, but you can also have these lineups that can really space the floor with Markin, in Collins, Olenek, and retaining some sort of size. Like I, I don't know, I'm curious, Doctor. What are your thoughts on what we could expect the rotation to look like? Does Damian Jones fit into this at all? What do you What do you think?
1: So first of all, with this roster, I'm excited that Quinn Quinn Snyder is no longer the head coach of the Utah Jazz because that man sticks with a rotation like a high school <laughs> coach. I mean, he plays the same guys. They come in at the same time every game. You know what's going to happen. Like you said, this roster is so dynamic and so diverse. I want to see the roster fluctuate depending on who the Jazz are playing. And I think this coaching staff will have – a lot of fun experimenting um, with how they can play all of these guys. Like I mentioned before, our front court is massive. They're tall, but they play in such different styles that the Jazz can use this to their advantage. Um, so I'm excited to see what they can do. Like, I think there's going to be some exciting small ball lineups where Kelly Olynyk is no, no longer going to have to play at the five in those small ball lineups, but we can move them to the four, maybe even potentially the three, because you have other guys that can play those those forward spots. So I'm not going to say that I want this, 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 I want this player right here for, you know, at this point of the game, like I want to see it fluctuate. I want to see us really try and play towards the opponent. And I think the jazz now have a roster as of right now where they can do that. So I'm, I really just want to see it fluctuate. And if we find something that works, like that's great, but as of right now, like especially at the beginning of the season, like that is a time to experiment and see what works best for your team. And I think the Jazz have the roster to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. There's a lot of room for experimentation. Um, one little thing I had about Will Hardy last year, while I think he's been a mostly good coach, I thought it was pretty obvious, especially looking back at it. And you can say hindsight is twenty twenty but I really do think the jazz should have leaned into Walker Kessler as the starting center earlier. And now that we know that, now that we know Mark and is probably going to be your three, which he played for the majority of the season last year. Um, I think you can really lean into those strengths and it makes some of the other decisions a lot easier. So, yeah, I, I think overall, the jazz are just in a really good spot. Um, whether or not they choose to trade one of these guys or what that looks like. Jazzmen should be excited about the addition of John Collins. He really elevates the floor of this team. The Jazz are going to look like the most athletic team in the NBA on a lot of nights. And I don't know if we've ever been able to say that. Like, as good as – as incredible of of athletes as Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert were in their own unique ways – We've never had guys with this kind of athleticism on a night-to-night basis. and
1: between We had Georges (laughs) Niang.
0: We did have Georges Niang.
1: We were always going to be last when he was on the roster. Dude, between the finisher and John the Baptist
0: and Taylor Horton Tucker, I'm going to throw him in there, there's going to be a poster every single night. I I will personally guarantee that. There's going to be one crazy dunk that makes you jump out of your seat every single night and I think the Jazz are going to be a really fun team to watch they're going to be a league past darling with all that size um, lots to look forward to I want to throw out two trade ideas though because I do think Collins and his addition to the Jazz does change things a little bit whether it's your long term trajectory or your short term trajectory you look at your starting four starting five I think you feel pretty good about your two, whether it's Ochag, or Jordan Clarkson. Your three, Barry Markinen. Your four, whether it's Alinek, Collins, Hendricks, whoever's the best. And then your five, Walker Kessler. So, who's going to be the point guard? Who's going to bring it all together? There's two point guards that could be available that I want to talk about. First one, this one might be a little bit more under the radar, but I think there is a way to get here. Uh, it's Markel Fultz. And I talked a little bit about him earlier. He's totally revitalized his career. He is a really good lead guard. And I think he would be a very interesting fit with this really athletic team. Just being somebody that can facilitate the offense, that doesn't have to worry too much about scoring, but can score from his spots in the mid-range, I think he would thrive around a lot of spacing in Collins, Markinen, and Agbaje. I think the route to get him would be a sign and trade, You're sending Jordan Clarkson to Orlando, and obviously Jordan Clarkson would have to agree to that he'd have to buy in on Orlando willing him willing to pay him a lot of money. I haven't jumped into the numbers, so I don't even I don't even know if this is possible, but he would be an incredible fit in Orlando. Like I said, they needed shooting; they need shooting badly, and I think he would be a really good fit there. That's your first impressions on Mark Fultz to the Jazz in a sign and trade with Jordan Clarkson.
1: Yeah, I think the jazz will have a decent shooting on the roster. And as we've already really just heavily loaded on the front court, I think now it's time for the jazz organization to focus on the guard position. I think Markel Fultz is an interesting choice. Um, He has been the face of memes for a while now. And obviously if you're going (laughs) to go to Philadelphia, it's going to come with some drama and some beef, but us as NBA fans, we're here for it. Um, I was fortunate enough to watch Markel Fultz a lot in college because he played at Washington. So as a Utah fan, I was able to view him as an opponent in college. And he was a, he was a dominant player in the NCAA ranks. And while injuries and, you know, other stuff that has set him back in his his first little bit in the league. Like you said, like he's good in his spots and that's the mid range and his role as a facilitator. I think Markel Fultz can blend in really well with the jazz again, like, I don't know how that will work out or if it does. And I mean, it'll be sad when Jordan Clarkson leaves, whenever that is. Um, such a fun player to watch. But Markel Fultz can be that guy because at times the Jazz were missing that a lot last season. And we saw Lowry Markinen try to pick it up, but that's never really his style. And that's not going to be his style if the Jazz want to win a championship. You need someone besides him that can facilitate. And so when we lost Mike Conley, the Jazz kind of dropped down hard. So you need someone that's like Mike Conley. You don't need the types of shots that Conley was taking before you just need that type of facilitator and leader on the court um, that can benefit the team in other ways besides scoring. And like you said, like Mark Fultz does yeah. that. So yeah. I, I wouldn't mind that at all. I don't think that's, that's a bad trade in the slightest.
0: Yeah. I think for like the intermediate term for the next couple of years, I think it'd be a great trade. And like I said, I think, I think he is at that level where he can be a successful starting point guard in the NBA because of what he has figured out how to do on both ends of the floor.
1: Okay, do you I have think like to- a, 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 sorry, go ahead. I was, I was just gonna say really quickly. I think like a good comparison would probably be like Ricky Rubio when the Jazz were there for like Donovan's rookie year, where he's not known for his deep shooting, or like, but he facilitates really good at assists, passing the ball, and is insanely good at the mid range. So I think that's probably a type of point guard that the Jazz could use at this time at this time in their franchise.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with agree with you. Um, The other one is a little bit more obvious, and it's because he's been in every trade rumor for, like, the last seven summers. It's Damian Lillard. Chew me out on this, okay? Damian Lillard, point guard. OJag Baji, shooting guard. Larry Markkinen, small forward. John Collins, power forward. Walker Kessler, center. That's... Where does that rank in the lineups that Damian Lillard has played with? I think Larry Markkinen instantly becomes maybe the third best player he's played with. You could easily make an argument for him being better than CJ McCollum, but I think he's right up there with prime LaMarcus Aldridge, and, and then you have a center, an incredible shot blocking center that thrives in the pick and roll as well. Damian Lillard hasn't played with a kind of guy like that. Around solid perimeter defenders in Ochak Baji and John Collins. All of a sudden you're looking at that team, you're looking at the West and how it was last year. That's that's like a top four team in the West. And looking at how it projects, the Clippers aren't gonna be good. I have no faith in the Clippers to stay healthy. The Suns, while they're very top heavy and incredibly talented. I think they're also going to have run into some health issues throughout the season, um, and they also have a severe lack of depth. Lakers, I think they're going to be okay. I think they found a lot this last offseason, this, this last postseason. I think they're probably going to be pretty good, but you're also banking on a healthy Anthony Davis and LeBron James. The Nuggets are the one sure team in the Western Conference, in my opinion. They're going to be a juggernaut. That is an incredibly well-constructed team to combat the Denver Nuggets when you look at all that size and the size that Denver has. So, I don't know. If you're the Jazz, I'm thinking about this. Obviously, a lot of it is contingent on whether or not Damian Lillard wants to be in Portland. I think Portland has made it pretty clear. If he wants to stay, he can stay, whatever. I don't think they care too much at this point. They're just going to leave him all the cards. But if you're the Jazz... I think you've really got to think – I mean, if Damian Lillard is like, I want to be out, he said a couple of years ago it was L.A. or Utah. I think since he has talked about Brooklyn, he's talked about Miami, he said heck no to Boston. But Utah is absolutely a place where he could come. He could be welcomed home. It's probably the arena that he gets the most cheers in besides Portland. Uh, he was here like a month ago at Weaver State playing in their alumni game. He wore the Weaver State jersey in the three-point shooting contest. There are just so many parallels. It's starting to look like all the puzzle pieces could fit. We'll see if the Jazz pull the trigger. Thatcher, right. I just want to get your thoughts, though. What do you think of Damian Lillard on the Jazz? Do you think there are any there's any route that this could happen? And how would you feel about them just going into next season?
1: Well, first off, if Dame decides to come to Utah, I want that LeBron James moment when he returns to Cleveland. Play I'm Coming Home. (laughs) Get like a live piano at the tarmac. um, You know, put the flashlights out. We're ready to welcome him. Um, He's such a fun player to watch. Uh, I I just think any NBA fan knows Dame is, he brings in fans because he's the Steph (laughs) Curry-esque. He's going to pull up from half court and he makes the tough shots. Um, The Jazz can be, if not, second best, third best in the West with Dame on their roster. The one you just mentioned, like that's a really good starting five. Um, We have been hearing a lot of rumors that he's going to, that he's considering Miami pretty heavily. Um, He met with the Portland front office earlier today they mentioned that they were committed to try and making things work in Portland to give him a championship ready roster, but there's no way that Portland can make a championship ready roster in these waning years of Dame's career. That's kind of probably the one pushback I have on Dame is has his prime already gone past him? And if it probably has, do we trust his last few years in the league to push the Jazz to, you know, become championship contenders in the West? I still think yes, because his scoring is even in these you know last years of of dame in the nba like he's still got a lot to give and he's still a lot better than most other guards in the nba scoring wise again you're missing you have some deficiencies but who doesn't in a superstar offensive superstar like dame so i'm very intrigued in the offers and listen if i'm if i'm a fan of the jazz like i want our front office to pursue them if they in fact say okay dame's up the time is up in portland you guys can come after him like And Utah will be a front runner for Dame solely because of his history with the state. And he knows that the fan reception will for sure be in the 90%, 90 percentile. Like everyone's going to welcome him when he gets here. And I think if he looks at this roster, he can probably see like, Hey, this is way better than what Portland could have given me at this time right now to win a championship. And we can probably do it. As you mentioned that, the players in our roster help him in his in his game. Walker Kessler, pick and roll. He has a guy to look out in the wing and Lowry Mark and like guys who can spread the floor out to help Dame improve his game. And he can play that facilitator role while also shooting at a high percentile. So I'm all in on Dame coming. Again, kind of like John Collins, but in a more extreme way. I'm just a little hesitant solely because of how much money he'd probably be getting paid, how screwed over would yeah. the Jazz get in the future. For the meantime, I just think as for right now, if the Jazz want to win a championship, from that perspective, I think it would be a good trade.
0: Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna throw out some numbers and then we will wrap up. But last year, thirty two point two points per game, career high. Uh seven point three assists per game in his top like top four season ever. For him, um, shot 46.3% from the field, 37% from three, both incredibly efficient numbers. He played in 58 games, and he would have played more, had Portland been a competitive team. Here, here's, what, here's what's encouraging about Damian Lillard and how he could possibly stay a very high-level NBA player for the next couple of years. It's Steph Curry. Steph Curry is older than Damian Lillard, and Steph Curry has aged like fine wine. I think you can buy into that with Damian Lillard, who has learned how to play a little bit less, um, play less explosive, I want to say. He is not quite the explosive athlete that he used to be, but he's also not making those crazy plays anymore. He knows the player that he is. He is incredibly self-aware as a player, and I think you buy into that. So there's reason to be optimistic about him. I think if the jazz are in a position to get him, if he decides that he wants to get out of Portland and Utah is one of those names that comes up, I think you can put a really good team around him that can compete, that can be really good for the next couple of years. And the jazz have so many assets, so much flexibility that they can fine tune a lot of things and get even better as a team. Anyways, Thatcher we're gonna close up um, what's going on with you what what's going on with the Thatcher effect podcast let's 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 hear the spiel before we close the podcast
1: okay quick plug quick update Thatcher the Thatcher effect podcast will be coming back um we have some really good guests coming up within the next month. Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network will be coming on after Pac-12 Media Days. He's going to be talking about uh, Utah football, obviously. And he was really high on Cam Rising last year, so we're going to have a really good conversation about the quarterback situation up on the Hill. And we'll also have DJ Bullerjack, son of play-by-play commentator Craig Bowlerjack. Uh nice. He works with ESPN 700. I met him while we were working at NBA All-Star Weekend a few months ago. Great guy. He has a lot of good insa- insights on sports in the state of Utah. So we have some really good uh, special guest episodes. And obviously, hopefully we'll have the man, the myth, the legend, at Jazz lead, Richie Osler. He'll be on the Scout. pod as well, providing <laughs> inside content. So you'll be able to find the podcast through the Variety Sports Network uh, website and through their channels on wherever you find your podcast. But you can also listen to it at the Thatcher Effect podcast on Spotify and uh, Apple podcasts. So super excited for the future.
0: Awesome. Hey, well, we appreciate you being on Thatcher. Um, Everybody, if you haven't listened to the Thatcher Effect podcast, add it to your podcast, give it a follow. This episode of Switch Lake City has been brought to you by at Jazz Lead on Twitter. Uh, Make sure you're following me for daily content on Utah Jazz. And... Uh, look forward to another podcast hopefully this week talking about and breaking down the games of all three of Touch Jazz's draft picks. Thank you for listening and have a good one.